Hey there, welcome to America on Tap, a weekly podcast discussing the issues affecting my generation, your generation, and our neighbor's generation, all while enjoying a cold beer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the widely heard and um, universally praised podcast, America on Tap. Um, I have two great friends with me to discuss a very important issue that I don't think is getting enough attention. I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, Ryan? Ryan Demore, Kansas City, Missouri. Yes, Ryan has been a friend of the pod for multiple seasons and very glad to have him back on. And then my other guest is a talented Carmen. Hi, uh, Carmen. I am a uh, former organizer, uh, a hopefully future organizer as well. Um, used to live in Kansas City. I'm in Mexico right now. Excellent. See, a little bit of international flair to our podcast tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as I said, we're here to talk about a really important episode, that uh, topic that I feel does not get the required attention, and that is down the ballot races, right? So um, everyone's focused always on the presidential election. It seems to be what is most important, right? That's what everyone frames it on the balance of we need to win the White House, we need to win that, 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 uh, that office, and they're not wrong. But a lot of the governing, a lot of the... uh, um, policy-driven approaches to government happen at the local, state, and, and um, regional level. And so we're here to talk about that. Um, so I, I, I'd like to open the floor to my guests and maybe start, why do we think down-the-ballot races are important? And Carmen, if you want to start us off here. Sure. Um, and, you know, I know that this is something we want to go into more deeply, um, you know, further ahead, but um, I think the 2020 census is a huge mm-hmm. issue. I mean, mm-hmm. in general, down-the-ballot um, elections are important because, a lot of times your local races um, and your local representatives will make a bigger impact in your life than right. the president. Um, obviously, right now, maybe with the coronavirus, you know, the president is on the forefront. Yes. But in reality, like most of the decisions that affect your life, your kids mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. Um, are done from the local level, made from the local level. So that's huge. And especially this time around with the 2020 census a lot of um, changes are going to be made, uh, redistricting, and uh, that's going to be huge. So that's, uh, I think, why it's so big this time. So so to expand a little bit more on that, right, the census um, technically is the process by which the government counts the people that live in this country. And that process, um, in turn, starts a bunch of other stuff. And one of the most important aspects of that is congressional representation. And so it it determines what districts need to shape be shaped differently or need to move based on population because there's a limit of how many people can live in one district, uh, can vote in one district. And so that's the biggest part of it, right? It's like there are states that are growing and we can understand, we, we can predict some of them are, right? Like particularly border states are growing quite a bit and so they're gaining um, congressional districts and there are other states that are losing and so they're losing congressional districts. And so yeah, mm-hmm. the census is important for many reasons, but Carmen brought a really important one, which is um, redistricting and, and congressional representation. Um, Ryan, do you want to mention anything in terms of why you think that um, down-ballot races are important? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, going off Carmen's point, you know, all politics is local, right? So yeah. a lot of the policies that we're being uh, affected by today with the coronavirus policies is enacted by cities and states. And, you know, even going back to a couple of years ago, we've seen cities enact their own sanctuary city laws oh, yeah. and, and say – uh, various other things, maybe contradicting the Trump administration or any administration mm-hmm. for that matter. Mm-hmm. And secondly, is the Supreme Court, right? So if Trump gets another four years in office or another Republican gets another four years in office, mm-hmm. that would make a seismic shift in the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. right now it's 5-4, essentially, conservative. Mm-hmm. If Trump gets another four years, if Pence gets another four years, whomever, the, co- the court's probably going to shift to 7-2 conservative. Right. And that's mm-hmm. something that would take years and years to recover from and that's what mcconnell has done so masterfully is mm-hmm. uh is make it kind of about the supreme court and i think that's what liberals forget a lot of the time so let's take construct that a little bit because i think you brought up a lot of excellent points there right so um the supreme court as we know is the members of that bench serve for life meaning that once you're uh proved to be there you're going to stay there till you die or you decide to leave but you are not you don't have to run for re-election to the supreme court which makes it a very um, politically motivated uh, organ, right? And so, to especially get as court, of lately, especially Sorry, as of lately, that's correct. No, no, no. But that it's it's very important because we and we're gonna go into exactly some of the issues right that have come up. But 
um, to get on the Supreme Court, the executive branch, so in this case, the president, Donald Trump, nominates someone that the Senate then approves. Right. And so what Demore is mentioning there is that down ballot races matter not only for local issues, but also because those people in the Senate elect, uh, are, vote in favor or against uh, Supreme Court nominees. And so if we elect folks that are able to vote down Trump's nominees, we would have a Supreme Court that is perhaps more ideologically aligned with what we would want, as opposed to ignoring some races that we could win and then saying, you know, let's focus on the national race, but we lose states that we could win. That could impact stuff like that. Um, and so Carmen mentioned there the importance of the Supreme Court and, and how it's very political. Now, Carmen, you want to expand a little bit more on what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, especially like in our, you know, time, um, I think we're all, you know, in our 20s. And we saw, especially with Obama nominating uh, Supreme Court nominee uh, right now, I can't remember his name. Sonia Sotomayor. Oh, oh uh, mm-hmm. Mary Garland. Well, yes, Mary Garland. Garland, especially with him. Um when you know Mitch McConnell held back the vote mm-hmm. for that, uh, which you know was completely unheard of, uh, actually, to my understanding. You know, you know what's funny there is that um, it actually was not unheard of, and it's funny because really? it's called the Biden rule. Because back when Joe Biden was in the Senate, um, he um, Mary Garland was held back because he was nominated in the lame duck session of the White House, meaning that it was mm-hmm. the last two years of the presidency, and so McConnell said that people need to make their make their uh, voice heard. So we're not going to vote on, on this person. And that was apparently a long held kind of, um, not rule by any means, but kind of on but the it had president. parties. It had precedent and it was something because Joe Biden used to be the, uh, I believe either chairman or part of the judicial Senate committee. And that was something that they did. So it came back to by yeah, the Democrats in the butt, obviously. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So then ever, like, I think especially like, you know, in like the lit last, um, you know, handful of years that um, has made people realize that we, who we have in the Supreme Court is, a, is very much tainted by mm-hmm. politics. Um, and, you know, we, there's a whole debate there as to whether that has reduced the legitimacy of the Supreme Court yep. and different things. But um, I think that's especially, you know, why that why it's so, so huge and why right now, like, because it has become so politicized, uh, and we are so divided as a country um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we really run the risk of like Democrats run the risk of yep. um, of, of losing that and, and of losing right. power in right. legal decisions for many, many years. Um, yeah. You know, especially if Trump gets reelected, like Ryan said, I mean, probably maybe for the rest of our lives, if that was to happen. Carmen, that's a tremendous point, I think, because you're right that the Supreme Court has been politicized and particularly under this administration, the government has been very strategic in how they use a court system to elevate issues to what is now a conservative-leaning Supreme Court mm-hmm. and assure outcomes in their benefit. Right? I don't know, Ryan, if you want to mention some of those issues that um, you've seen in yeah, the past sure. couple of years. So I, I guess by its very nature, uh, there has been a shift, like we mentioned. Uh, court Cases that were being decided or in the same vein that were being decided in 2017 uh, would have ruled one way are now being ruled in a completely different way. So like think of Obamacare, yes, think yes. of abortion, think of uh, can gun manufacturers be held liable? And they, and they, and, the, and it's fascinating because they, um, they are allowing um, lawsuits in district courts that they wouldn't yeah. normally because they wanted to get to the yeah, Supreme they Court. Do. And, you know, it's kind of impossible to think about, but when Roe versus Wade was decided, I think in like 1980, I, my, my date might be a little wrong, but it was a six, three decision. And so for the fact that a woman's right to choose could possibly be brought back to like where we were in the 1970s with reproductive health is kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of mm-hmm. backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not kind of backwards. It yeah. is very backwards. It is. So it, it there's is kind of been a regression, I guess, more conservative, uh, if you will, um, on different topics. And it's going to be something that no matter who's in charge uh, is going to have to navigate. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see. Also, since Trump, like, you know, it's been... I mean, if it was politicized with Obama and Mitch McConnell and Merrick Garland, um, before, you know, it, what was it 2014 or so? Yeah, um, it must have been 2014 because that was the last two years of the Obama administration. Yeah, around there. Even more now when Trump was, you know, when he was running, he published a list yeah. of potential yes, judges, you know, and that's something that 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 was that's huge and that's revolutionary. And that made people who might otherwise, because of their religious feelings, et cetera, et cetera, might not vote 
for him, uh, vote for him. Um, right, no, that, there are people that that's clearly single issue voters that say Trump will, will put on conservative justice right. on the bench. That is, that is the only issue. They're willing to ignore everything he says, all the other things he does, as long as he puts up judges, specifically within abortion. I feel it's a big issue there well, like, that he's willing to put up judges that would uh, stroke well, down Roe v. Wade. We're seeing it. The, it, it's, it, the Supreme Court and uh, the legislative is supposed to be a checks and balances system, right? So the fact mm -hmm. that whenever power tends to lean one way, um, conservatives or liberals, for that matter, put people that uh, echo their opinions, it's kind of a bit uh, dangerous in a sense. And you're seeing Republicans in, in, yes. who are compromising their beliefs because they think that, you know, uh, two years ago, the biggest threat to America was uh, the budget and uh, the massive amounts of debt we've incurred. They yeah, forgot about they that. They completely now. forgot about they, it. And now the biggest threat is illegal immigrants yeah. in China and Russia. Like, what, what, that, yeah. what happened two years yep. ago? Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know Instilling yeah. fear and it, you know, that's what they do. Fear-based yeah, issues. That's what they do. And 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 it sucks, but it's effective. That's the worst part, right? Like Mitch McConnell oh, super is, is. I can't stand the dude. Like I don't. I as a, as a someone that aims for like a. I, I do recognize that it's an idealist political system where people get along, and I mean he's right. completely horrible. Like he's someone that yeah. has is very effective for what for what his party wants because right. he has um, marshaled. Uh, conservative judges, not only in the, in the Supreme Court, but across the nation has approved record number of conservative judges that serve yeah. for life. And so the dude is, and, and something I, I want to mention is, you know, this this Biden rule we brought up earlier where Mary Garland, uh, Obama's Supreme Court nominee, wasn't brought up. I was reading the other day that, God forbid, something were to happen to um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or someone else on the bench. I, I, am, I would be the first one to say that Mitch McConnell would not care about that rule and would try mm -hmm. and ram through a Supreme Court nominee in, mm -hmm. Even now, right? Because now we're in the period of the lame duck Trump administration. We had the midterm and we're waiting for 2020. And I'm, I can guarantee you that he would oh, try he and would get not care. someone in. No. Like, he would not yeah. care. Absolutely. And then the Democrats. Which for so, us makes him horrible, but for him makes him, again, an effective senator and leader yeah. of his party. Right. Yeah. So there is a Supreme Court and then there is re redistricting, which, yeah. you know, uh, you could say there's a lot of gerrymandering. Basically, mm -hmm. like we can change, say there's 100 senators, right? Because of how many people live in each state is how that is allocated. So yeah. that, you know, this year or this upcoming year, these elections could change so much. Um, okay. And it could define, you know, well, now what, say whatever, Texas is going to get another mm -hmm. senator and... Uh, no, another senator. No, it will get, it only gets, always gets two senators, but it will get other, yeah, other representatives. Uh, oh, other uh, representatives. Yes. So it's with Con exactly. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. But it's with Congress, right? So they could get another uh, representative, representative of Congress mm -hmm. and a state where people aren't, you know, are kind of moving out of, or that's the trend, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, could get it. Would lose. Exactly. Well, um, well so, and, I mean, and, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead no, you wanted to I was just, no, go I was just going to say that that could change it. Yeah. Time. And depending mm -hmm. on how many Congress people they have in that state means how many electoral college votes they have. So a state like yes. uh, California mm -hmm. could possibly lose and New York could possibly lose, but Florida could gain two, three, who knows at this yep. point. And that mm -hmm. matters for every election. Uh, it for, does matter. Uh, every uh, going forward. It's yeah, a huge impact. I mean, yeah. You know, we could go, we could, uh, this could take us back to why, why is Trump want, was Trump wanting to put this citizenship question mm -hmm. on the census, right? Like, it, that's exactly it's all connected um when less people take the census people who are afraid of being you know chased by ice deported correct then there's less people there's the less latinx people represented and we allocate less representatives yep. to those yep. states um, yeah because something that is uh, hardly debated is that the census does count undocumented folks as well exactly right so it's not only citizens so Trump's whole thing, which thankfully got defeated and not is not going to be a thing, is adding a citizenship question in the census to scare away, as Carmen just said, um, Latinx folks and any folk that's that's undocumented in this country. It would scare them from saying, "Hi, like if the census comes to your door, they would probably, you know, I don't want to talk to you um, if they were afraid that that was going to be a factor." Right, and it's you know obviously we we want to be hopeful and we want to keep pushing the issue and keep pushing people to take it. Um, and stuff like that. But the reality of the situation is that 
we don't know how many people are have been afraid just at the thought of it, have just heard yes. that there might be mm-hmm. a citizenship question and mm-hmm. therefore might not t- be a part of the census yep. um, and have a repercussion for the next 10 years until the next yeah. census. If you guys want to talk about, I mean, that, that point is excellent, Carmen, because if you guys want to read about the huge impact the census has, look at what Republicans did at the statewide level in 2010, you know, at a, like the Tea Party way they wrote in that year. And how their control they take they took over dozens of state houses like state house representatives and senates and governor mansions to the point where they were able to redo the census to their benefit and at that point we thought it would, like Democrats were going to be locked out of the of a majority of the house for decades to come right demographics have shifted a lot since then but that's a fascinating read into how to really milk the system to the, a party's benefit they really did yeah. really well <laughs> I, I hate to plug with the West Wing I always do I think usually when I'm talking politics. But there is a really <laughs> episode called Mr. Willis of Ohio, and it talks about the census. Oh, my and, God. I uh, love that episode. Mr. Willis, yeah. spoiler alert, makes a point about how back in the day in the census, he was three-fifths a man. And it just brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. I'm getting emotional talking about it. But it's just a brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant show if you want more explanation for, about the census. As a political science undergraduate, I think I'm a huge disappointment. Uh, I've never watched The West Wing. So I look forward to listening to the clip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. maybe checking it out, maybe checking that episode out. I'll tell you this: so I think the West Wing is one of those shows that, even even to this day and age, right? Even our current debate in the party about progressive versus more centrism, it's a show that holds on holds on really well ideologically. It, it really presents a, a a an administration that I think any yeah. Democrat would love, like would die for. Um, it doesn't hold up really well with other Women. things like. Interestingly, there's no, well, yeah, there's there's only one female oh, major man. cast member, and there's no people of color that are play a major role of the administration. Um, but that, I mean, not excusing you, right? But that was mm-hmm. pretty much the norm in the time. Um, but I mean, yeah, phenomenal episode for a uh, show for um, for those that want to feel inspired in this in this not inspiring mm-hmm. times. Um, the last thing I, I do want to mention when it comes to um, what's at stake with down ballot races is, is state and local issues. I mean, I think we see an effort to, like, for example, legalize marijuana at the federal level. But we've seen examples of states do this. I mean, obviously, the most well-known is Colorado. Um, but to, to uh, good effect, right? And so I think this is the other thing. It's like folks think that the president has this huge um, power. They do. But a lot of the, of the policy could happen at the state level. As long as you vote on those um, uh, amendment issues or ballot initiatives, right? Like, you may get what you want before uh, you elect someone that you, that you really support. So it's important to keep that in mind because that's another factor that gets yeah, impacted absolutely. quite a bit. Anything that isn't decided by the federal government in our constitution says can be decided by the state. So literally anything that you want mm-hmm. yeah. uh, or you you think you yeah. can get, go to your local officials and, and uh, talk to them about it. That's that's the best it, advice I could give you. This, um, this reminds Carmen, me of the yeah. 2018 uh, Missouri um, uh, midterms where mm-hmm. Missouri – um, you know, uh, Claire McCaskill in Missouri, Claire McCaskill lost. However, initiative. Uh-huh. Ooh, by the way, Claire McCaskill is a is yes, former United States exactly. Senator from Missouri. Was a um, so Missouri. she lost her race to the Republican. However, the the state mm-hmm. passed ballot initiatives such as legalizing medical yeah. marijuana and also uh, raising mm-hmm. the minimum wage, uh, among other ballot initiatives. I think there was one or two more. But this is, I mean, basically, these ballot initiatives, especially, can be really like nonpartisan. And you know, while the Republican yeah. wins the the Senate seat in this case, the, yes, exactly, Josh Hawley. Um, and, you yeah, know, still one. medical marijuana passes with you know, I think it was like sixty or something yeah. percent approval. Um, so that those are huge things. That's a great example. That, that's a great example, right? A Democrat losing statewide, but issues that we would imagine are more linked to the Democratic priorities are approved with overwhelming yep. margins. Right? That's the best example yep. of why local elections matter. Okay, folks, um, let's take a quick short break and we'll be back to discuss some of these down the ballot races that Carmen, Ryan, and I are looking forward to um, come November. Guys, welcome back to our second segment of this episode of America on Tap, talking about down ballot races. Um, so, virtual, basically, what we mean by that 
is uh, elections that are, do not involve the presidential ticket, but include governor races, uh, Congress, um, statewide issues, local races, and all that. And so why, uh, we're discussing why those are important. And so to kind of illustrate what we mean, um, I asked Ryan and Carmen to figure out a few races that they're going to be kind of watching closely come November 2020, and I came up with my own list as well, to kind of reflect a greater point as to why these races matter. So let's start with Ryan. Um, Ryan, what's your first race? First that you're race keeping is an eye on? A, a race I watched in 2017, and that's uh, jo- Doug Jones out of Alabama. Um, yeah. This is this is so oh, crazy yeah. to me because right now in the Republican primary, there's a gentleman by the name of Tommy Tuberville, used to be the coach of Auburn. I, whatever, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I love yeah. that. That's the most Alabama and he's thing running I've against ever heard. The former senator that Doug Jones kind of replaced, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Jeff Sessions, former U.S. Attorney General. Trump has seemed to indicate that he's going to support Tommy Tuberville over Jeff Sessions. Doug Jones is, is you know, fighting tooth and nail, holding on for dear life, trying to uh, win a full term. But it's just so bizarre that Jeff Sessions is running for his old seat. The president who appointed him to uh, attorney general is not endorsing him. It, it's it's just very Alabama. I mean, 20, 2017 was crazy. I think that's like, no, you it was like I think Alabama has had a couple yeah. of really interesting senator years. You're, you're completely right because if we look, if we go back to 2017, Doug Jones was a Democratic nominee against Roy Moore, who was a former justice on the Alabama Supreme Court, and was an alleged um, I, I don't want to uh, use a correct term, but he had many claims of, of inappropriate yeah. sexual encounters with minors. And that I mean, even in Alabama, the race was close. Like I mean, I guess perhaps not surprisingly, but the race was was close right. even when yeah. that came out. And so then Doug Jones says you're representing that state, a Democrat in the Deep South, and now, as they more said, right. The so when you more. don't have, like, it's basically, you know, we're wondering what happens when the Republican isn't a, you know, a person who abuses or allegedly abuses minors, uh, or is inappropriate with minors. Do we have mm-hmm. a chance as Democrats? Uh, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but yeah, I mean, in Al- in Alabama, mm-hmm. it doesn't. But seem I well. mean, it definitely, you know, it's a it's a race to definitely keep your eye on. It is just, I think just because Doug Jones has actually been, I, I love Doug Jones, right? Like, I think he has been a pretty effective senator, even as yeah. a Democrat in Alabama. Like, I think that the guy just really gets it. Like, I mean, he's, he's exactly who you should want representing you, irregard, like, regardless of ideology. Yeah, he's, he's just a good afraid. public official. I was going to say that he, he's just someone that I think yeah. speaks to the people of Alabama, and, and he recognizes that it's a, a ruby red state in a, in a political sense. And he's, he's okay with that. And he's saying, you know, right. I'm going to fight for you no matter what. Yeah. yeah and we need more of that. He's not afraid to break with the Democratic Party. And as much as I like the DNC, he's not really yeah. smart to do, especially in a state like Alabama. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not working for the DNC. I'm working for you. I'm working for you. I'm working for you. That's brilliant. And, and he needs Correct. to do more of that. And I, hopefully in 2020, mm-hmm. he gets another chance. But uh, I'm not hopeful. Uh, yeah, we agree. Also, I want to know that Ryan said I love the DNC, and I don't think that's pretty common. But yeah, I also love the DNC. Anyway, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> the, the um, going back to Doug no. Jones, um, you know, I think what he's yeah. doing is as Alabama stands, it's what we have to do, right? Like, it's it's you know yes. whether I'm uh, you know in favor of what he pushes or not, he's definitely better than any Republican. Um, for these, you know, Alabama right. is, um, from what I remember, you know, has a tendency toward an older population, very white population. Um, but especially with the, with the age, um, they benefit from having a Democrat. They benefit from having someone who supports Medicare, Medicaid. They would, but it all comes down to, it all comes down for to a lot of abortion yeah. from, from a lot of these people. Right. And so, yeah. So it's single issue voters. I mean, I don't, I don't want to like minimize them, right. I think they're entitled to their opinions, but a lot of that mm-hmm. does come to that, that issue. Carmen, you want to share your um, first spotlight? Yeah, you I mean, I think someone, uh, Amy McGrath, um, yeah, who's running, um, okay. you know, he's, she's trying to beat Mitch McConnell. Um, she is a veteran. Um, I believe she was, I want to say, yes, yes. She's a fighter exactly. jet pilot, right? Um, and, you know, just a very, it's, it's kind of, obviously, I mean, there are different people, but I can imagine her being closer to a Doug Jones than mm-hmm. any, you know, any traditional mm-hmm. liberal Democrat, especially a progressive. Progressive, um, yeah. And as much as I mm-hmm. identify more toward the progressive, um, you know, wing of the party, um, I mean, of the party. we need mm-hmm. to get rid of Mitch McConnell. 
um, you know, as soon as I heard yeah. that she was running, uh, I donated to her campaign. I mean, she just, I think she hopefully uh, can appeal to, to Republicans. Um, however, it's going to be a tough race. Um, but if anyone can do it, it just kind of seems it like will. she yep. is a good candidate. All right. Right. I agree. I mean, she's someone that, mm-hmm. yeah. first of all, she's a badass, right? Like, how cool is that? Former fighter pilot, captain, um, you know, running the show. And, like, I think Mitch McConnell is entrenched in Kentucky. He's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a relic, to put it politely, of the state and has virtually unlimited funds. But Amy has raised quite a bit of money as well. Um, and she's someone that I think has a, a good amount of chance. But, I mean, we'll see, right? It's Mitch McConnell after all. He's not going to. He's not going to leave his, his left flank open while helping others mm-hmm. send a Republican. So that'll be a tough race. Okay. And then um, someone I want to spotlight, I went a little bit uh, perhaps to a smaller, more local race, but um, I want to talk about New Mexico's second congressional district. Um, this is a really interesting district because it's the largest district in terms of geography oh, wow. in, this, in the country. So it's the biggest district um, just based on New Mexico's population, right? It's just huge. Um, it's currently represented by Democrat Xochitl Torres. Um, this district was held by a Republican since 1980, except for one two-year term by a Democrat. And so the last 40 years, it's basically been run by Republicans. And she won the wow. district by less than 2%. I um, mean, she was, she was pretty kind of um, well-known, I guess, because she ran an ad that uh, had her firing a gun, oh, which in most okay. Democratic yeah, circles, yeah. that would be a big no-no. But yeah, but she actually, like, that was, like, pretty praised. Because right. she, that's representing her district, you know, and so she, and she joined the Blue Dog Democrats, which is a um, kind of a, a group within the Democratic Caucus in the House that's uh, composed of centrist Democrats in um, kind of rough mm-hmm. or tough districts to win. Um, and she's kind of advocating for that kind of like what we call a centrist Democrat. Right? But I was, I was really, uh, really kind of happy because the three people that I'm going to mention throughout this conversation are all women and are all young, well, like young by congressional standards. Right. And so I, I think and like two of the one I'm going to mention are people of color. And so I think that just comes to speak to the fact that we have a lot of conversations about progressive and not progressive. But I think these are three badass women that are running true to their district and perhaps are not progressive, but are breaking barriers in many other ways. And so that's uh, that's kind of my uh, contribution to social tourists. It, and she's up for a, a tough race, tough reelection race in November. Um, but I'm hopeful that she'll yeah, be able to, to, to win. To go off your point, Juan, I, I don't uh, want to interject yeah, uh, no, uselessly, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I think it inspires mm-hmm. other uh, Democratic women who have been sitting on the sideline for so long, like, oh, this is a national polarizing race. I need to get mm-hmm. involved in it. I think it has a ripple effect throughout the community. For and sure. that's brilliant for Latino and, and, and women. It really does. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, it, I mean, seeing it, it's yeah. what we talked about when Obama was elected, right? It's like this thing of seeing, seeing someone that looks like you on a national platform says, right. damn, I, I can do it, too. You know, I can be there. And so I think uh, yeah. Representative Torres is a good example of that. Ryan, do you want to say well, your Well, I was just going to say that as, so as someone who I organized uh, for six months, I organized in Texas, I mean, in Iowa and then in Texas. And mm-hmm. um, there was one thing that I constantly talked to people about um, who were really just disenfranchised, disappointed, I mean, heartbroken because of mm-hmm. the stuff that's going on in the federal, federal mm-hmm. government with Trump uh, and stuff like that. And there was one thing that I always said, which is, if there is one good thing that Trump brought along is how many people, how many women, especially when women of color, oh, yeah. women, young women are running or, I mean, and, uh, you know, men too, people mm-hmm. who don't identify with either, either sex, all these, all these people who usually would not have run running now. The thing is, these are all down ballot mm-hmm. races. Mm-hmm. And these are all races that usually don't yep. get that much attention. So it's our responsibility right now to be like, okay, we're super disappointed with Trump. Yep. Fine. That's uh, totally understandable. But exactly. here's, here's where you can send your energy, right? Exactly. Like, so so my hope is that not only the energy will be brought against Trump, but for all these races all throughout the country, um, because that's mm-hmm. how real change is made. I agree. Great. Yeah. Ryan, do you want to share your uh, second? We're going to go take a trip to Arizona. Arizona. Uh, Mark Kelly versus Senator McSally. <laughs> this is another really strange one, but I'll give you a little background on Mark Kelly. Uh, he is the husband of uh, former Congressman uh, Gabrielle Giffords, who was uh, uh, shot, almost assassinated at a public event by a, a, a mass shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so he's kind of, I think he always wanted to, you know, uh, he was an astronaut, former astronaut, but I don't think he ever really wanted to get into politics, but seeing his wife almost lose her life to gun violence, I think kind of inspired him into Mm -hmm. running for an office. And Mm -hmm. as of right now, I think the last poll was conducted a couple of weeks ago. He had uh, in some polls a nine point lead and some uh, in some polls, it shows McSally with a one point lead. It's a very uh, weird uh, race, but uh, to my knowledge, Mark Kelly is, is far out raising her. And this, this is another interesting tidbit. Um, This is John McCain's former seat. Uh, McSally was appointed Mm -hmm. to Jeff Flake's seat after another Senator uh, Kyle stepped down. And so she's never really won a Senate election in Arizona. In fact, she lost to uh, Kristen Sinema in 2018 well, she, yeah, I was going to say she actually yeah. she she and did run, but lost Senator, to Kristen. It, it, it's yeah. just a it, it's another bizarre race. I, I, it's just a very strange year, 2020, uh, all the way mm-hmm. around. It, it really is. I mean, you have these races that uh, yeah. kind of defy political norms, right? And and to add some to it, right? Mark Kelly, I don't want to speak. I'm, I'm going to look it up while we're talking here. But yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask. Was I was like, can we expand right? like, on think, the <laughs> fact that he yeah. was an astronaut? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like he and he has a twin brother actually, who they've conducted like the brother's also an astronaut, and they actually conducted a lot of tests of what happens when a, like a body is taken, like because they have like same genetic code. If one is if one is in space and the other one is not, like they've done a lot right. of research on both of them. It doesn't it's really qualify you for office, but it makes you very right. easy. Right. So, no, <laughs> you know it, it's it's really cool. I, I've actually heard. Um, former Congresswoman Gabby Gifford speak. I mean, it, it was a couple of years ago and she was still recovering from um, yeah. one of the, sh- the bullets kind of went into her brain, brain and she lost motor function and ability to speak. She's much better now. Um, and I, and I, w- I went to one of her speeches that she advocates for gun control, as Ryan said, and um, she spoke for maybe 15 minutes because it tires her greatly to speak. And so Mark Kelly ended up talking and man, that dude is inspirational. That's he's, he'll be a great United States Senator. And, Something I want to leave with this is how crazy would it be that yeah. Arizona has two Democratic senators? That would be wild. <laughs> like, that would be yeah. not something I would have expected, but uh, but good. Um, um, Carmen, I think the second race, race because watching? I organized in Iowa and I actually organized in his district is Steve King's race. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, Steve King is a congressional or a Republican member of Congress. Um, he yeah. has he's known for saying just really insane things um extremely racist things he um i actually uh-huh. i actually looked up some of the no, things he said no please do go i refresh my memory so <laughs> yeah i just i just wrote down a couple but um a few years ago he sued the iowa secretary of state for including wow. election information in spanish because mm-hmm. he thought it should only be in english um he compared undocumented immigrants to livestock when discussing the um, wall that President Trump wants to build. He said we should fence it up so that immigrants can get through just like livestock. Um, he said that Islam is not a religion and that the Quran is worse uh, than Hitler's yep. mind come. Um, and just a, a, a ton of other racially, um, again, to put it very politely, insensitive things. But this man <laughs> yes. is an, an abomination. So he Continue. has said <laughs> things that are so racist, that are so outrageous, that even Republicans have shunned him so he from my understanding he's not part of any committee right now right. of any congressional committee yes they, they so he's they basically powerless yeah. so there are republicans who are trying to get his seat so he's being primaried by some republicans however i'm not sure i think he mm-hmm. is uh, his name is well known enough in the area that he has a really good chance of getting it again and then on the other hand um we have J.D. Schulten, who is a uh, former yeah. farmer, from what I from what I remember, um, centrist, progressive, mm-hmm. somewhere in between, Democrat, but who is very well known in the area because he ran in two, he ran two years ago, lost. He's running again. Yeah. He lost by not a lot. He's running again. Yes, four points. Four um, points. So he's four running again, points. and I think you know just from. I mean, from being there, obviously, you know, I was working in a primary, so I was talking to only Democrats. Um, and that is totally, you know, what I heard from people and saying, you know, people really are ready for J.D. Schulten. Um, but I really do think that people in Iowa are getting tired of 
uh, of Steve King, people in his in his district. So I'm really looking forward to having a Democrat represent that, hopefully. It, it'd be great because you, you are correct that he he was reelected uh, the last time he ran against Schulten by four points. But it, it was a crazy race because mm-hmm, that is a mm-hmm. ruby red district. Like right. That's a very conservative district. And the fact that Schulten was able to come within four mm-hmm. points should be a victory, right? Obviously. But you, need, yeah. you still want to win. I think it's important to note um, so that he didn't that. turn racist overnight. Like, this is stuff that's just been, like, kind of unearthed. And, like, it's kind of getting national oh, yeah. spotlight mm-hmm. because uh, mm-hmm. it was a kind of a hotly contested race. And Iowa second has kind of just turned yeah. it back like, oh, yeah, that, that's just our crazy congressman. And I think people are just kind yep. of getting tired of it. So hopefully, hopefully something changes there. Right. Yeah, especially because he can't get anything right. done, right? Like right. he's so racist that he can't get things done for yeah. the people of Iowa. So he cannot, because he's not as, as Carmen said, he's not on any committee. Like, what is he doing in collecting yeah, a paycheck? Like, what is he doing in power. Washington? You know, like, yeah, like he's just getting paid to do what? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Um, and and just just a small correction there: the, the district represents you. actually Iowa's Sorry to the good district. folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry I, to the good I, folks. I just wanted to no, but but just <laughs> I just want to make sure that if people want to um, Google you. some of these races after, they can find them. So it's the Iowa Fourth District. Steve King running on stage. He's J.D. Shulton. Um, so my next race is uh, from the Commonwealth of Virginia, Virginia's seventh congressional district. This is also a very interesting district. Uh, it's currently held by a Democrat, Abigail Spadmanger. This was a district held by yeah. Eric Cantor. Oh, Folks wow. that may not know who that is, that was the um, House Majority Leader for the Republican Party in 2014. In that year, he lost a primary race to a little-known economics professor called Dave Braddon, right? Everyone was shocked because uh, Eric Cantor was going to be the next speaker of the House if Republicans were going to win, right? It was seismic change in, in Republican circles. Um, and, and Dave Braddon has been the congressman until Abigail beat him, right? And so, again, it, I, I bring this, this, um, this election to the spotlight because she, this is a district that had voted Republican um, since at least 1996, it had only voted for a Democrat for the statewide level three times. And one of them was Mark Bardner, who's a current senator for Virginia, and then Ralph Norton, who's a current lieutenant go- uh, governor of Virginia, actually, and in previous right in previous elections. And so it's crazy that they actually ended up voting for her after being the seat that gave Eric Cantor his, his perch in Washington. Um, and, some, and to mention some of the things that Spanberger supports, right, to, to, co- to kind of discuss this, the new face of what I think is the future Democratic Party, right? So Spanberger is someone that supports legal abortion. She also supported Trump's um, United States, Canada, Mexico trade agreement. She criticized the Green New Deal as including things that are unrelevant, but at the same time recognizes global warming as a major um, danger. And then, but then supported the impeachment of the president, right? So it's this like conglomerate of, of things that I think makes her a talented, talented congresswoman that she's able to kind of speak to her district and say, I recognize that you guys want some of these things, but not, not all those things. So I'm going to represent you to the best of my ability. Um, but of course, it's another tough race for Democrats in, in November, just based on the uh, historic uh, historical track record of the party there. But um, she's been an effective congresswoman from everything I, I read, and, I'm, and uh, hopefully she, she ends up winning this race back, continues winning it. Okay, Um, Ryan, you want to share your last spotlight? A state that I'm moving to, uh, Kansas. Uh, So this is a very another very interesting (laughs) race. Uh, Pat Roberts is the current senator. He is retiring. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris Kobach uh, is running in the yeah he's running in the Republican primary. There's several uh, local politicians, some state reps, some local businessmen who are running against him um, for various. uh, There's there's probably like ten people running in this primary uh, to try to defeat him. Because mm-hmm. he ran for governor, I think, in 2018, and he, he lost pretty substantially. Uh, so I think the Republicans... He did. Like, he is so bad that he lost <laughs> yeah. to a Democrat in Kansas. Yep. Right? The, the current, the, the current yeah. governor of Kansas is a Democratic woman. That just shows you how bad no, Chris truly. Kobach is and at elections. So but sorry, the Republicans, uh, they haven't had the primary yet because of, of the coronavirus. And I think it's scheduled for June now, but... Um, regardless, it's going to be interesting to see if one, Chris can win the primary and two, when he takes on the likely nominee, uh, Barbara, uh, Bollier, um, she is a member of the Kansas, uh, state Senate, uh, in, in Johnson County, pretty well known okay. in, in my neck of the woods, mm-hmm. but I don't know how well her name carries throughout, you know, okay. the Western plains of, of Kansas. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, most of the polls have. Uh, the Republican presumptive nominee, uh, either Kobach or another person, uh, had about uh, by four points. So it'll just be interesting to see if 
if trends continue and Chris Kobach loses another statewide election. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. That's, that's a fascinating race, Ryan, I think, because Chris is yeah, someone yeah. that, well, sorry, Chris, <laughs> like we're best friends, but uh, Mr. Kobach is someone that has been, uh, right. he's, he's pretty close to the president, right? Like he's BFF with Donald Trump. Trump has, um, at some point, I think, had him in consideration for a role, I believe, in the Department of Homeland Security, because Chris yeah. is a big uh, immigration hardliner. Um, and so he's someone that is, is not unknown to us, but could just win in Kansas, right? Like enough people couldn't care about that to where he could win. But in any in most other states, I don't think that would be a question. But in this case, well, I mean, I think it, mm-hmm. it would benefit Democrats if he wins the, the primary, because um, that would probably be the best chance. But just for the sake of no. democracy, he would not be a good person for the country. But we'll let, we'll let <laughs> the great people of Kansas decide that one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, future Kansas voter. Carmen, you want to share your um, I think um, I would go with Susan Collins of Maine. Um, you know, she's, okay. uh, I think mm-hmm. it's Sarah Gideon, who's the Democrat, who's going against her. Um, yes. Susan Collins mm-hmm. has been um, somewhat controversial over the last, you know, she's been a person who has been a decider um, in many votes. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. a race I'm watching. I think Sarah Gideon is considered to um, be, or they're both considered to be in a state that could lean Republican, or sorry, could lean Democrat now nowadays, um, and could go for the Democrat. So that would be huge. Yeah. She would. She's yeah. a senator. Uh, so getting getting that Senate seat for the Democrats would be huge. It would be, and and you're correct that Susan Collins. I I mean, I I, I used to be like, oh, you know, she's exactly the kind of Republican we need in the Senate, but she's really tricked everyone into thinking that she's some kind of like moderate person but has really um, voted when it, when it comes down to the crucial oh, vote, she has voted through and through with the president, right? And, and Supreme court nominees, right? Like major bills. I like get something that I think she, she keeps winning in Maine. Cause she's like, I know when to vote. No, but doesn't seem like mm-hmm, Ms. Collins, mm-hmm. Mrs. Collins knows how to do that anymore. And uh, so I would love to see. Her yeah. She kind of, of hesitates on getting. every vote and she kind of makes the news yeah. saying that she's considering both sides and all these things. Every time, every time. Yeah, but then the she votes with a president. And I think people have, you know? I just mm-hmm. hold a little mm-hmm. bit of hope because mm-hmm. she's a woman that she will support women and minorities and, and all these different issues. However, every time she ends up disappointing and she's not someone who, she's not a moderate Republican as much as she says that, that she is. So no, I think I Sarah Gidding so. has a chance. Yeah. Uh, so definitely watching no. that. Yeah, good race. That's a good race. Um, and then my last um, race to highlight, another congressional race, um, it's Georgia's sixth congressional district. It's currently held by Democratic Rep. Lucy McBath. Um, this is another interesting district because it used to be um, a Republican seat from 1978 until 2018, right? So it was a, a Republican seat for decades and decades. And if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys remember the name John Ossoff and Karen Handel. This was the yeah, most expensive house race in history in 2017. It was, a, it was a special election, uh, Karen Handel against Joseph, John Ossoff, and um, Karen Handel ended up winning, but John Ossoff spent millions and millions of dollars. It was insane. And as I said, it was the most expensive house race in history. Um, and then the district, I think, went through uh, um, some changes, and Lucy McBath ended up beating, um, I don't think it was Karen Handel, but maybe it was Karen Handel that she beat in 2018. Um, and so she is someone that, I, again, I really like because she decided to run for Congress on a platform or gun control because um, sadly her, her son was murdered in 2012 in a gas station dispute. Like some other dude just asked him to lower the volume of their music on their car. And they kind of had an mm-hmm. argument about that and the dude ended up shooting him and killed him. And so she became a big advocate for gun control and um, all these things. But interestingly has also, is very outspoken on, on, on respecting the second amendment, right? And I, and I firmly believe in this. I, I did my master's thesis on, on um, gun control and how to actually get it done, mm-hmm. right? Like not just say, oh, guns are bad, but how do we actually get there? And I, and I really believe in what she says that she's someone that says, you know, the, the Second Amendment allows for a certain amount of gun mm-hmm. control, right? It says a well-regulated militia. So she's she's a big believer in, in doing that. And I really like her. Um, and again, she's, she's a moderate Democrat that, for example, does not support Medicare for all, but is a big advocate on abortion, stands with dreamers, but doesn't want to eliminate ICE. And again, voted to impeach the president. And so it's someone that, again, brings this coalition of multiple sides mm-hmm. of the party and, and knows how to speak to her district. And again, I, I, I hope she wins again Absolutely. in November because we need, we need more people like her. 
And it's right. not to mention she's a woman of color, right? So that also elevates like that diversity that we, this, this class that we elected in, um, in 2018 mm -hmm. was the most diverse class and the most female class in yeah, history. Definitely. I mean, that's, that's like huge, that. right? Like in Georgia, especially. And again, you know, with these uh, platforms of, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously she's advocating for gun control. And the thing is in places like Georgia, you also, you can't just say, you know, you can't just say like the second yeah. amendment is trash. Um, cause people will yeah. stop listening mm -hmm. to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to, you have to you're, meet them yep. where they are yep. and then go from there. How do we, how do we like get to our common goal, which is less yeah. innocent people dying needlessly. Correct. And she's the best, like, I mean, in a very yeah. tragic incident, right? But she's the best poster child for that. Like I, she can say, I had someone in my family and someone like my son died because of this. But I don't want to take away your right to hold a gun, right? So it's it's it's, it's this middle ground that we can find if we stop allowing the NRA to like. Oh, that's another conversation. But I think she's a, a phenomenal rep. That um, they were even mentioning her for for Georgia has two open Senate seats in November, and they were mentioning her as a potential candidate just because of her um, ability to kind of appeal mm -hmm. to a, a wide range of voters. So we'll right. see what ends up happening in that race. Um, our, our good friend Dakota, who couldn't be here tonight, but wanted to um, send me one race that he wanted us to mention before we end for the night. Um, that is the Texas 23rd District. And that is the currently held by Representative Will Hurd. He's a Republican, um, the only mm -hmm. African-American Republican in the House of Representatives. Um, and he was a former CIF officer and he's retiring, right? He has disagreed with Trump on, on quite a bit of things, particularly around um, just kind of morality and values and the way Trump speaks and addresses people and um, Will Hurt has been, again, a good representative for his district in the sense that he represents a district along the U.S.-Mexico border and has uh, raised an issue with how Trump talks about Hispanics. Um, and so we on the Democratic side, we have Gina Ortiz-Jones running against um, the eventual Republican nominee that will replace her. She's a former U.S. Air Force intelligence officer that has worked for both um, the Obama administration and the Trump administration. And she ran against her in 2018 and, and lost very narrowly. So this is a rematch without her, I guess. And then um, on the Republican side, according to the code, it looks like uh, the, the candidate will be Tony Gonzalez, who's a retired <laughs> Navy cryptologist. I love that title. And he has worked for Capitol Hill in the past. And um, the Republican National Hispanic Assembly has endorsed him, which wow. I don't know how many people are part of that assembly. But some, some, I guess these groups have endorsed him. And so it'll be a very interesting race in the sense that it's two Latinos from different parties, uh, both former military, right? Like running for the seat. Um, so it'll, it'll be a fascinating If I can add two cents to that one. I think what's kind of sad yeah. about uh, yeah. Congressman Hurd's case is that he's a, a congressman who is not afraid to stand up to the president, speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every single person who mm -hmm. belongs to the Republican Party mm -hmm. who stands up to Trump has to retire because yep. the voters in their home state won't back mm -hmm. him up. The mm -hmm. exception being Mitt Romney because he's got such a uh, – uh, He's, he's got Utah running as an independent, I think, solely in the state of Utah to take away uh, mm -hmm. votes from, mm -hmm. from Trump. So it oh, is yeah. kind of sad that, that also Will Hurd being, I'm sorry, Congressman Hurd being such a, a strong voice for uh, reasonable Republicans or what the Republican Party used to be um, have to retire because they don't have the backing anymore. Yeah, it's part of this. Sorry, it's part of this wave see, that I, we're I, seeing, I, right, of, that we've been ahead, seeing Robin. since 2016 of Republicans who just cannot find a place anymore in the Republican Party. So obviously, no. you know, as much as, you know, he might have stood for things that I personally don't stand for, still, like, it's eliminating the diversity in that party, which is worrisome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they won't have another African-American, I don't know, it's, I don't know how that's not a big red flag. Um, but see, so I, I think something unpopular to say for a Democrat is that I think we need mm -hmm. people like Will Hurd in Congress, right? Like we need him. Like it's not, maybe not in this district because so I would love to see Gene Ortiz Jones there much better, but. Right, I, if I we're going we to need, have a Republican, um, might as well have Republicans that are able to say. Think in different ways. Well, I mean, that, no, because I, I do think that's a core of the Republican Party. I mean, people will say I'm being, a, I'm apologizing on behalf of them, but I do think this is a core of the Republican Party, a party that Democrats can debate with, right? And we're going to find some, some, um, middle ground where we can agree on, on what I mean I, I don't think Trump represents a, 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 now he really does but I don't think ideologically the president really represents a party and Will Hurd is like Jim Amash he's also a, a Michigan congressman that has now an independent because right. he voted for impeachment and he was a Republican right like these are folks that I think ideologically represent the core of the Republican party but having pushed to the fringe 
by a president that has kind of made his mark, um, right? And so we need those folks to stay in there because those are the people that we're going to be negotiating right. with when we have to pass legislation. I mean, we just need those people. And so it's, it's right. horrible, I mean, but it's, it's a reality between, of our current you know, time. Mitch McConnell's and Will Hurts, or is it Hunts or Hurts? Heard. 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 Uh, I would definitely, Will I would take, definitely Heard, yeah. take, you know, I think H-E-R-D. we do need those kind of people because instead of someone that we just will not, never yeah. come yeah. to the table to debate. Um, so I guess a major conclusion of this, guys, and, and folks listening, is that down-ballot races and local elections matter quite a bit. You may think the president is a big deal, and, and they definitely are, but um, we cannot deviate our attention from that, from, from local races and state races, just and not know anything, right? When you're showing off for the ballot box, it's important to Google or at least do some research on who's running. So you know these things, and you're able to vote um, not only for the president, but also other races. Um, um, I think just the guys, fact Carmen that um, we might see, and from, from my point of view, hopefully see, um, a lot of mail-in voting uh, in 20 or in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully mm-hmm. just uh, lo- like logistically that allows people who are in their home voting to do the research that is needed and to take their time to, to vote and to take these down ballot races seriously. Because like we said at the beginning, you know, those are the ones that affect yeah. um, li- people's lives uh, directly and the most. Yeah, And I'll add one thing, That's a great uh, point. since these great are point. local races, it is so important yeah. to subscribe and support local mm-hmm. news agencies, uh, because these aren't going to be talked about on Fox News or CNN or, or MSNBC. These are going to be talked about in the Springfield News Leader, the no. KC Star, uh, the El Paso Times, things like that. Mm-hmm. So be thinking about how you can support local newspapers mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. uh, uh, finding out information about local house races. Yeah, shout out to the Storm Lake Times in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> see this is why you guys are we're, we're, we're good friends not only do you support a, a you know signing off for the press but also we can talk about Absolutely. things like this and it and it goes well so thank you for your feedback thank you for your ideas and your and your thoughts um lots more to discuss as this election continues but that's thank it for this episode of america on tap if you enjoyed this episode of america on tap make sure you leave me a review on your podcast app of choice tell your friends about it and tune in next time Cheers to having a conversation that doesn't end in an angry Twitter rant.